Queer Relation Tips, an IM Clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. On Monday, I had a new patient who was coming to see me for prep, and and we did his labs last week. Um, and so then when he came in for his actual intake on Monday to see me, and I was like, you're positive for gonorrhea of the throat. And he's like, well, I haven't had sex in four years. So how did I get that? And I was like, well, did anyone, have you ever had your throat swab to be checked for gonorrhea and chlamydia? And he said, no. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So unfortunately, there's a lot of providers uh, that are out there that don't do three-site testing, and all those areas are independent of each other. Some some patients feel that if they're positive in their throat, then they're positive everywhere, but that's not that's not true. All those sites are independent. Obviously, LGBTQ plus sexual health is a very important topic. Many of us didn't have the talk, often leaving those of us in the LGBTQ community feeling as though we have to reinvent the wheel or fake it until we make it. But thankfully, we get to talk about it now. On today's episode, we have an inquisitive nurse and a brilliant nurse practitioner and a dear friend of mine, Randall McDavid, who break the ice on a conversation that is usually held within the private walls of a doctor's office. They talk about condoms, sexual health, STIs, and what research is showing us about HIV prevention medicines like PrEP. I hope you enjoy. Um, you had mentioned you had some questions about safe sex practices and versus uh, PrEP, right? Yeah, so what my original question um, about it was when PrEP became widely available, uh, it seemed to me that more and more gay men, specifically, uh, were talking about utilizing safer sex practices. So, uh, in fact, the opposite seemed to be occurring to me. Uh, and it seems that, like, safe sex um, went on the back burner. And so my, my big thing is, aren't safe sex practices kind of the backbone to preventing HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases? And shouldn't we impress upon gay men to utilize safe sex practices as a first-line regimen rather than relying just on PrEP to prevent HIV transmission? Yeah, those are great things that you brought up. I, w- I would say that statistically, at preventing HIV, there are some, some statistics to show and also research to show that PrEP is actually more effective at preventing HIV than a condom. And I think that that's because of the biologics that we have available for us, because we have two options now. And we have Discovy, which has only been out for a few months. And then Truvada has been approved for preventing HIV since 2012. So we have a lot of data and a lot of information now. and it definitely, when I, when I do prescribe PrEP, I do let them know that it prevents HIV, but it doesn't prevent all the other STIs that you're, you're referring to. And we are seeing a rise in gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis across the entire nation. And some people are blaming that on PrEP, but I, I like to think that now that people are on PrEP, they're accessing healthcare more and they're testing themselves more. 
So for my patients, they have to be seen every three months. And the reason I do that is because there's two reasons. If someone's on Truvada, it's a little more taxing on the kidney and I want to keep an eye on their renal function. Yeah. And the, and the same thing goes for Discovy. Even though it is a little bit easier on the kidneys, it still affects the kidneys, and I still want to keep an eye on that. The other reason I see people every three months is because 85% of, 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 of biological males do not have symptoms of STIs. I can't tell you, and I think that's a CDC uh, statistic, but I can't tell you, I, I feel like it's much higher than that, especially in my practice when I call and let people know that they're positive for, for gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis. They don't have any symptoms. Which is interesting, you know, because I, you know, I, I remember the traditional, uh, the traditional things back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, I'm 62 in, in a few months. Um, what was interesting is that it seemed everybody would experience some types of symptomology, uh, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. But from what you're telling me, it's like either we've, we've, you know, we've evolved um, or um, is it possible that just maybe just men aren't paying attention to this, the subtle differences like, gee, this burning, ah, it's probably something I drank or ate. Sure. Yeah. It's a, uh it's really, it's, it's interesting because I work in a sexual health clinic. It's, that's what my clinic is. And just the, on Monday, I had a new patient to me who was uh, coming to see me for prep. And, and we did his labs last week. Um, and so then when he came in for his actual intake on Monday to see me, and I was like, you're positive for gonorrhea of the throat. And he's like, well, I haven't had sex in four years. So how did I get that? And I was like, well, did anyone, have you ever had your throat swab to be checked for gonorrhea and chlamydia? And he said, no. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So unfortunately, there's a lot of providers uh, that are out there that don't do three site testing. And uh, those, all those areas are independent of each other. Some, some patients feel that if they're positive in their throat, then they're positive everywhere. But that's not, that's not true. All those sites are independent. And I, I always just check for all three. So I swab their throat and I don't let patients swab their own throat for many reasons. A lot of times they end up swabbing the side of their cheek or their tongue and they don't get all the way back in there. And this is an ancestry 23. <laughs> <laughs> and I have them do their own rectal swab. I think that that um, there's a lot of studies to prove that if, patients are allowed to do their own testing, that they're more compliant with it and that they will come in more. And so yeah. I, and I agree with that, you know, even for myself, uh, when I was on prep and I didn't, I don't want to go in every three months and pull down my pants and have my provider do the rectal swab. You know, I'm like, I'd rather just go in the bathroom and do it myself. I'll be way more compliant and show up to my appointments, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the, um, the colon cancer, um, samples that that you do, and then now now you, you do it at home. You send it in the mail. That's done. Um, so what are you know? I'm, I guess are you seeing more side effects since we are now several years into the prep thing? Are you seeing more side effects, i.e., renal function problems, 
liver function problems, um, anything like that since, since we've been doing prep? Yeah, and that's interesting too. So a lot of the, the clinicians across the U.S., if someone's liver enzymes are elevated, they won't prescribe PrEP. And I actually, that makes me cringe because PrEP is not metabolized by the liver at all. So uh, neither Discovy or Truvada that's available on the market affects the liver at all. So that's, I always tell clinicians, if I'm speaking to them, I'm like, you can go ahead and prescribe it. Truvada or Discovy will not affect the liver at all. It does, however, affect the kidneys, as you, as you talked about. And Truvada, um, it's, it's the molecule that uh, causes kidney problems is tenofovir disaprixyl fumarate, so TDF we call it. And then the newer one that's out is tenofovir alfenamide. And so people have a little bit of background of why they came out with Discovy. That's because people living with HIV that were taken a TDF-containing regimen, 20% of those patients got renal failure. And it happened in my own practice. I had two patients who had severe renal um, uh, disease or uh, renal failure uh, because of TDF. And uh, those patients were on dialysis for six months. And we honestly, when I was speaking with a nephrologist, we didn't know if they were ever going to be able to come off of dialysis. So you can imagine as me, as a clinician, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to, I don't want to cause injury to my patient, right? I, I, I want their their chronic disease to be managed, but I don't want to cause all these other issues as well. So then uh, Gilead, the makers of Truvada, uh, came out with, with Discovy. And so it came out with Taft, tenofovirophenamide. And uh, now we're not seeing any renal disease at all um, or any kidney injury from that medication. And uh, um, Truvada has actually been around uh, for the treatment of HIV since 2004. Uh, and then it was approved for PrEP in 2012. So again, we know a lot of information about that medication. And then, so that's why there was this big uh, push to make all of our patients switch over from a TDF containing regimen to TAF. And so since that was available, they went ahead and studied it for PrEP as well. And they also noticed in those patients who didn't have HIV that their kidneys weren't um, as affected either. And then we also know a TDF that it decreases the bone mineral density. And I know you know about osteopenia, osteoporosis, so thinning of the bones. Um, yeah. You know, especially for our female patients who have either surgical menopause or they actually get menopause naturally on their own and they lose that estrogen, they start to lose bone. Um, and, you know, taking TDF on top of that is not a good idea. And if you smoke on top of that, uh, you know, it's like a recipe for a disaster. So, um Addressing bone density, um, TDF versus TAP, Discovy is, is, a, is a better choice simply because we're reducing the possibility of losing bone density. Am I correct? Yes. Are we, are we suggesting supplements for people on TAP? You know, it's, it's not been studied, you know. Okay. Um, for my patients that are on Truvada, is it a good idea for them to be on a calcium supplement and take vitamin D? Probably. Um, I think it's a good idea just for anyone to be on vitamin D. I, even here in Denver, where we have over 300 days of sunshine, almost all of my patients are vitamin D deficient. 
and we like to see that level like six sixty or above. Yeah. Most people, when I check them, they're in the twenties. Yeah, and the only way to get vitamin D naturally is to be out in the sun with no sunblock for fifteen minutes every day, and most people don't do that. And then most of us don't drink whole milk, which has a lot of vitamin D in it anyway. Uh, so that's another way you can get it that way, but you just have to use supplementation for it. Which is probably uh, probably a lot easier and a lot simpler than, you know, other things that people would do for, for vitamin D deficiencies. Yeah. You know, popping a pill is probably the easiest thing to do. So yeah. speaking of supplementing with vitamin D and calcium, what, what are you recommending to uh, your patients as far as the supplement goes? The, uh, the amounts. You know, most of my patients, to be honest with you, because Colorado is a very active state, um, most people are really active. They're out hiking or, you know, um, snowboarding or skiing, you know, doing other things. So they're, they're turning over bone really good anyway. Uh, okay. that's, and that's one thing to note too, is that some people don't know this, but we turn over bone. We keep making bone until about age 30. The average age is 30 years old. Um, so after that is when we don't really turn over bone anymore, but okay. we, we really don't need um, some calcium supplementation if we're exercising. Uh, it's that weight bearing exercises, you know, that, that makes our body like, Hey, you need to make some more calcium. Yeah. You need to strengthen your bones, kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to go back uh, on one of your things in the very beginning about, about condoms. One thing I tell patients is, is, I know that not using a condom, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive, you know, I know that when not using a condom, it feels better. Um, and so when I tell patients that, that they, they do make some condoms out there, as long as they're open to try it, that are, are pretty great, honestly. You don't really notice that someone has a condom on. And there's a condom called the Hex, uh, which it's available at Amazon and Target. And the science behind it's really cool. Uh, it has over 300 hexagons in the condom. So uh, we all know penises come in all different shapes and sizes, and so do the orifices that it's going into. And so this condom more fits of whatever is going on with the shape of that person's penis and whatever orifices it's going in. The traditional condoms, that's just one consistency all the way through. It's not natural. You know, it's like, come on. Uh, and then this, this condom too is, is really thin. Um, and, they, and they make them in regular size and extra large as well. They're expensive. They're like $3 a condom. But I always tell them, you know, that is much cheaper than getting HIV or, you know, getting syphilis uh, and getting complications from that as well. And if you buy them in the, you know, in the family size pack. Uh... Right. <laughs> yeah, Amazon, you know, you can buy everything in bulk. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to gay popular culture uh, and how it affects us here. Um, so in gay pop culture, um, we're promoting sexual activity um, and it's a core defier for us as gay men, you know, um, at least, at least for me. Um, and so this adds kind of fuel to the fire of, managing the increasing exposure to HIV and other STDs. So are we, uh, would it be, would it be impossible or would it, would it be a negative thing to um, 
convince the gay media, if we will, that maybe perhaps less emphasis on defining ourselves in one category as just sexual beings, would that at some point long-term um, perhaps help us to not think of sexual activity as just a core being thing? I think it's, I don't know if it's just a gay thing, to be honest with you. I think it's a male species thing. Okay. You know, because we're, we're kind of, we're the only kind of creatures that, that really practice monogamy, you know, uh, or what we've been taught in, in church or in our other communities that we grew up in. And the reason I bring that up is because I have prep patients that are hetero, that, that um, identify as heterosexual and they are in these, I call them designer relationships, you know, uh, whatever that they come up with uh, in their relationship. And for me, that was pretty eye-opening, uh, you know, because my clinic is primarily MSM, men who have sex with men, but I see all kinds of, of, of different people uh, that are, that are um, uh, into all kinds of different sexual acts and things. So my eyes are always... I used to be very shocked when patients would tell me things, but I'm not really shocked anymore on the things that I hear because I'm like, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's whatever, you know, floats your boat. And, and I, I get really excited when they're open with me and they do share these things with me because it makes me feel like that I'm providing an environment for them to feel comfortable to tell me that the things that they're doing. Yeah. And, and I, cause I think for so long we were so repressed with our, our sexuality as a as a culture as a nation that you know people did all these things in hiding and we started seeing a lot more diagnoses of hiv and i think we're seeing less diagnoses of hiv because there's a multitude of things i think it's because we're creating this culture where um, having sex is pleasurable and it's okay to talk about these things and share our experiences. And then obviously also uh, PrEP plays into that. And that's where I think PrEP has done a lot for the gay community. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's made our, our sexual explorations normalized. And it's also uh, provided uh, a way for us to explore those things without the fear of getting HIV. And so I think that's why we're seeing all these things happening now. Okay. Um, and of course, we're, we've been assimilated. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> um, uh, there are still places, of course, that you know, we still experience a lot of, um, a lot of discrimination. Um, but that being, that being said, um, in general, we're now two generations past Stonewall. Um, and I'm wondering from what you've, you're hearing from the various generations, um, are they seeing differences in their lives um, with regard to infection management uh, with HIV? I.e., let's say someone who is my age, 62, and is coming in that has HIV and someone who is in their twenties to thirties, 
Um, what's the mindset, if you will? Oh, yeah, that's that's a really good question. So it's it's very different, to be honest with you. You know, I had a I recently had a treatment naive nineteen year old, and when he came in, like the conversation that I have with him is very different than someone who would be sixty two. Okay. For example, I had a, a recently, I can't remember his age, but he's definitely in his 60s, and he's in the Peace Corps, and his wife knows that he has sex with men. What I thought was awesome was that him and his wife had this conversation that he should be on prep, not only to protect him, but also to protect her because he was still having sex with her. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, like before prep, we probably would never had this conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the, the 19 year old, uh, I don't know if you know, but the landscape of treating HIV is changing. We traditionally were only able to treat HIV with three active medications. Right. But now we can now treat it with two medications instead of three. Right. So when this 19 year old came to me, never been on HIV medications, newly diagnosed. And I'm, I'm telling him about the, the treatment options. He has no idea about the history of the HIV medication since the mid eighties. Wow. So when I, when I offer the, the two drug regimen, he's like, okay. <laughs> like he has like, he, he just knows no difference between a two drug regimen and a three drug regimen, you know what yeah. I mean? wow, this generation is now changing, you know, so. And, and remember when it was like, I, you know, I, I, I used to care for people as, as a volunteer um, and I would see just a whole stack of pill bottles lined up on the counter. Right. And it was, and of course, all the side effects then. Um, but yeah, and so now that we're where we're at as far as, the chemistry, what are, um, are we seeing some side effects, no side effects? Are some people having, are the people that are having side effects um, having bigger issues with that? And you're talking in regards to PrEP or HIV? HIV, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, so uh, that's why I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing less HIV diagnoses for two reasons. Uh, uh, for the first time, we have seen a decline in the HIV diagnosis. We have not seen that since HIV was discovered. Okay. And the CDC, I don't know if you know, but their statistics are three years behind. Uh, but but for the first report from 2017, we've, we're seeing a decline in HIV diagnoses. And I think that's because our HIV treatments are way better. So uh, I will tell you that most of my patients have no side effects at all. And the, where you were talking about, you know, these pills lined up, those were the days where people would rather just have HIV than deal with the side effects um, because it changed the way they looked, right? It made their face sunk in. It made oh, yeah. their arms and their legs skinny and their bellies big. And so people could almost tell if someone was HIV positive. And their colors would change, you know, in their face. Yeah, that, that pale ashen thing. Yeah, and sometimes they get a buffalo hump you know, on the back of their neck. Yeah. So there was just a lot of uh, body image um, issues that would happen. And then people would be going to the toilet all day long, 
you know, throwing up or having diarrhea, and they would rather just live with HIV. But these new these new medications, it's some. I mean, most patients tell me they don't even know they're taking anything. Like they forget that they have HIV until they take out their bottle and take the medication, or they go to the pharmacy, or if they're going to sexually interact with someone for the first time that they don't know and they disclose their status. That's the most of the time when they, when they know that they have it. Otherwise they just forget about it. Okay. And so the, the conversation, like you were saying with that, when a, with that 19 year old that I saw, uh, you know, the biggest thing they were worried about is they thought they were going to die. And that it breaks my heart, you know, that they, that people still out there think that. And, you know, I was able to tell him, I was like, you know, actually, I'm able to tell you that the studies say, as long as you take your medication, you're going to live just as long as someone who's HIV negative. Yeah, which is, which is the beauty of it these days. Right. Uh, you know, because I, I, I remember when people would just, uh, you know, they would be taking their pills, and they'd be taking their pills. And then, you know, it, uh, now that here we are at the other end of it, I remember so many people, no matter how much how good they were with their regimen still a number of us still died um, for whatever reasons you know it was usually it was the opportunistic infections no matter you know what we were taking so th these days prep seems to be um probably a, the better option um but are there's are there people out there who just say you know i still i would rather not take medication if I can avoid it? And are you still counseling them about safer sex practices? And if so, you know, like the Helix, obviously that that condom is, is a wonderful option. Are there other things that you're um, counseling them on? Yeah, you know, we always talk about safe sex practices for sure, because as we mentioned earlier, that PrEP only prevents HIV. It does not prevent gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, herpes, um, uh, genital warts, all the other things that you can still get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I still have some really like type A people who always use a condom 100%, but they just want that extra insurance, you know? Okay. And, and when people come in for prep, I really congratulate them and I tell them, you know, I'm really glad you're here and that prep provides a way for you to take charge of your own health care and you're not putting it in someone else's hands. And that's, that's a lot like what we do sometimes, right? When yeah. I ask patients about, do you know your, your sexual partner's HIV status? And they're like, well, they tell me they're negative, right? And so uh, PrEP provides this um, extra layer of protection uh, for the psychologically, yeah. you know, because, you know, let's be real people have sex under the influence of things and they're not making the best judgments at the time. And I've had people, you know, tell me they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm on prep because I woke up the next morning. I don't even remember who that was. I don't even know if they're HIV positive or negative. I don't even know what they have. I don't even know their name, you know? Uh, so, you know, you probably remember when there was just post exposure, and, and I still see those patients too. They're real anxious, you know, for the whole month, they have to be on a full HIV regimen with three drugs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, now, yeah. Speaking about those post, those post coital people. Um, so they come in, 
they see you, they're all nervous, you put them on a regimen, and are you seeing, what are you seeing at, at the end of the regimen with testing? Because you'll probably be testing, what, three months later, and then six months out, and then nine months out, and then... Yeah, you know, honestly, most people transition into prep because they're like, I don't want to go through that again. Okay. Yeah. So those are prime candidates, you know, for, for people transitioning over. You know? okay. And that's, that's one thing, you know, because in, in your state, in Colorado or in um, California, and actually it just passed, Governor Polis passed this recently here in the state of Colorado, uh, is for pharmacists can dispense prep. And, my, and they can, they can dispense uh, post-exposure, which I am so excited that pharmacists can do that. Uh, we're trying to work with pharmacists here locally, so we're a referral source for them. So like if a patient comes to you as a pharmacist and, and wants post-exposure, great, but please link them to someone who can, who can do prep. Right, and counsel. Yes, absolutely. Because counseling is, I know that no matter what, counseling, you know, people, you know, one, um, disseminates truth instead of myth, because we all, we've all heard the myth, the myth stuff, and that, that still goes around. Um, and two, people sometimes just need to be told, hey, you know what, we're going to get you through this, we're going to get, we're going to make, get it okay, okay? Right. Um, the other thing is, is I guess, and the last thing that I wanted to, to discuss was the cost of prep and how we, we can arrange for how it's paid for. Um, is, is, it, is it recognized by most insurance companies? Um, that kind of thing? Yeah. So good question. Uh, unfortunately, these medications are very expensive. So currently right now, Truvada and Descovy are pretty similar in their prices, which is around $1,800 a month without insurance. Uh, Gilead has, it as, has a, a patient assistance program because they're the manufacturers of both of those options. And they give the patient $7,200 a year. So, you know, let's say someone, uh, you know, their copay, because it's a top tier copay because any antiretroviral is going to be at the top. So let's say the copay is $100. If they go there and the pharmacist is like, it's $100, and then they have the Gilead copay card, then they owe nothing. Most patients owe nothing on their medication. And here in Colorado, we're lucky. We have, um, we have an insurance called PHIP, and it's for patients who are seeking PrEP. And so their uh, PHIP will pay for their office visit, for their labs, and any vaccines that are uh, related to um, sexual health. So like Gardasil, hepatitis A, hepatitis B vaccines, uh, those are all covered. Uh, and, then, and then we sign them up for Gilead Advancing Access so they can get their medication paid for. The, the one thing that's coming up is in September, Truvada is supposed to be going generic. Now, some people get excited about that, but as far as I know right now, that there's only one company that is going to be manufacturing the generic formulation of Truvada. And so what that means is that it's an expensive generic. So, you know, we, I still don't know what that price is going to be. It'll be interesting to see how insurance will, will they force us clinicians 
to prescribe the generic formulation uh, for patients who are already on Descovy? Will they make them come off of it if they don't have any kidney issues or bone issues? Right. You know, who knows? So that'll be interesting to see how that happens over the next few months. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, my friend, that was everything that I had um, for this for this session. I just didn't know. Um, I'll ask you, is there anything that, that we didn't cover that maybe should be said before we end? Um, I, I guess I was more wondering for you, like, because um, you mentioned you're 62. Yeah. And, um, your other friends, are you seeing that prep is kind of making them come out of their like their sexual shell, you know, where they feel more comfortable exploring now? Interesting question. And I, and I love that because I'm seeing two different sides. I'm seeing one side where um, they're just fearful of, of prep and the implications of what it means. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, if I'm on prep, um, does it kind of make me feel like a bad person? Um, am I putting too much weight on this side of my life? Um, am I, because a lot of, a lot of men uh, of my age and older um, are a generation where, you know, sex was the, and is the validator um, for the person, um, which hence leads to sexual addiction, which another topic for another time. Right. Um, and because of that, a lot of guys go, um, you know what? No, I don't think so. I think what I'm going to do is I will practice my safe sex. I will, you know, consider and continue to bear in mind monogamy. Um, and then there's the other side. There are the guys who say, um, wonderful, great, uh, sign me up and I'm out the door to go see boys. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's an interesting, you know, I, I think what it is is that the Stonewall generation, at least my perspective of the Stonewall generation, is that um, some of them are embracing the, uh, the changes and rolling along with it and actually reveling in it. And some of them, are, some of the other side of it is, um, I would really, really be careful because we went headlong into it and we went headlong into HIV. Later generations, I would, and I would love to hear from, you know, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. Uh, I would love to see uh, a large room, room of, of, of men discussing that, you know, as far as their experiences and the experiences of their peers. Um, something I don't get a chance to do because basically I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing oncology. And so mm -hmm. I don't get a chance to, to be out there, if you will, in the field um, and talk with people. I mean, I do try to have those conversations uh, with people when I'm in social situations. You know, if, if, it, if I feel the person is, would like to open up about that. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, in, it's interesting. Here we are two generations past Stonewall, and there's some things that, that have changed for the better, I believe. And then there are some things that I'm just going, gosh, haven't we grown up?
Right. <laughs> so that that's that's my hope is that um, hopefully down the line that I have those conversations. I really look forward to those kinds of conversations. And maybe you know there will be a, a form at some point uh, here on relationships, which would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. You know, I when I see the younger generation come in who are accessing prep and they're in their young adulthood, early twenties, late teens, and they're on prep, you know, and they're able to sexually explore without worrying of getting HIV. Yeah. So, and you know, I'm I'm 41, and I'm like, wow, like to be that young again and to explore like that, and to have your youth, you know, when you can explore like that, it's a it's very different, you know, from when I grew up, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I definitely think that that prep has provided a landscape for people to feel safe to sexually explore and not worry about getting HIV, which is very magical. I think it's just great. And I, I'm not sure. Have you heard about on-demand prep? That would be brand new to me. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I've not followed um, – as much about prep as I could have because I spend most of my time with, with cancer drugs. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so prep right now, we, it's, it's recommended to take it once a day. Okay. And it's with or without food. Uh, the most common side effects are nausea, abdominal cramping, headache, and they usually happen within the first week if you, if they get them at all. And typically it goes away after the week. And with, for, for some people who don't have that much sex, on-demand prep is a great option for them. It's, it's also called event-driven prep or 211 prep. And what happens, and, and it's not FDA approved, but there's been several uh, State Department of Public Health who have endorsed it. Uh, San Francisco has, New York, and Denver has as well. And the science is really great. It was done by um, a physician in France, and it's called the Ipergay study. But it was shown to be just as effective as someone who took it every day. And what happens is that you have to kind of know when you're going to have sex, though. That's the only thing. You know, sometimes sex is spontaneous, but for on-demand, you have to kind of know. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, kind of in, it's kind of difficult. You're all of a sudden, you're, you've met somebody, and it's like... Um, uh, uh, can we continue this uh, in about two days? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can you come back in 24 hours? Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, hmm. yeah. So, so I actually have, I've had a lot of, I didn't think that many patients would be interested in it, but I actually have, especially during COVID um, because patients aren't having as much sex. At least that's what they tell me. Uh, and, but anyway, uh, you're to take two Truvada. It's not been studied with Discovy, by the way. So we only have data on, on Truvada, so I can only recommend it uh, with Truvada. But you have to take it two to 24 hours before the sexual act, and then you take one Truvada for the next two days after the sexual act. Sounds like maybe, actually, you could probably plan an event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, I've, I've had some patients who they're like, well, I only have sex like once or twice a month. I don't really want to take something every day. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you brought that up. We have another option for you. You know, I just, I have to give the caveat it's not FDA approved. Right. Um, has been studied. And, uh, you know, it's shown to be just as effective as taking it every day. Well, let's see. France has done this Epergay study, but 
wasn't it over at Louis Pasteur that we came up with HIV virus? Mm-hmm. So I, I sounds like the French have a lot have a lot going for them. Yeah. We're falling behind, but hey. Well, the, I don't even know if you know this, but the Swiss said in the 80s that if someone's viral load was undetectable, then they could not pass on the virus sexually to someone else. And we just caught up with that science like two or three years ago. <laughs> the CDC finally endorsed, you know, that if someone is virologically suppressed on yeah. their HIV antiretrovirals, uh, which, which we've decided that undetectable in the world is less than 200 copies on their virus, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's, that means undetectable. Here in the U.S., we, uh, we tend to be a little more strict. We want you to be like less than 50. Uh, but if you're less than 200, you're considered undetectable. And so this whole movement of U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable, has uh, is, is been very powerful, which is a great tool. Uh, I let my prep patients know, you know, with confidence when they're having sex with someone who's HIV positive and they say they're undetectable. I'm like, actually, uh, you don't even have to be on prep. Like, as long as they're undetectable, you're not going to get HIV. Uh, and I think that's a very powerful tool. And on these apps, you know, where people hook up, uh, like Grinder or Scruff, they will actually have in the profile, like T-A-S-P, uh, capital T, little A-S, capital P, and that's treatment as prevention. And so I educate my patients that that actually means that that person is positive and they're undetectable. And you wouldn't believe how many people don't know that. You know, it's, it's funny. We come up with so many acronyms in, in medicine. It's, it's, right. it's so hard to keep up sometimes when, when somebody throws, you know, like, oh, yeah, um, you know, PLL3, you know, whatever. I go, Okay, I need to go look that up real quick. Right, Urban Dictionary is good. Yeah, yeah, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> so, my friend, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. Yeah, yeah, cool. thanks for doing this, and I appreciate your questions. They're great. I was listening to these two brilliant men talk in the background. Scribbling to take notes, I was enamored with their insights and excited to imagine how their conversation might guide our behaviors, to practice sex with a little bit more confidence, comfort, consent, and most importantly, wisdom. Many of us have preconceived notions about sex, what works, what's smart, what's best, but I am so thankful for people who are willing to ask the bold questions and the professionals who know the answers so that we can know what is accurate about sex and our bodies. Many of us never got the birds and the bees talk, and certainly didn't get the bees and the bees talk. And this often leads to a silence in our sex lives that might leave us exposed to risk, emotionally and physically. Hopefully, though, today's episodes gives you the information. You need to stay safe and keep sex fun. Have you talked about sexual health with your partner? In my experience as an LGBTQ plus therapist, I've noticed that we often get into sex first and then have the serious conversations after. But I believe knowing your partner first and creating the safety before sex will make sex, well, more sexy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you take some of the wisdom you glean from these two brilliant men to improve your sex life and keep you safe out there. Have fun, and until next time, take care. Mwah. 
Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by IM Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. IM Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at IM Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.